0: But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went, to, went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, uh, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be replaced. Now, my apologies, but I also read 12. Thank
1: you. You're welcome. All right. Don't, don't run off just yet. I need you half have a second. All right. I would like to have people reading Scripture regularly, if that's something you would be able to do. I am uh, pretty sure we're going to be opening auditions for that, uh, but I, part of the reason I asked Daniel to come up and do this was because I knew that he would come up carrying that Bible right there, because I have seen that Bible like a million times. And I, I, will explain the context of this in a second. Uh, I'm going to put him on the spot, but I, uh, I hold it up, man. Like, like this is the Bible Daniel reads, right? And I have sat at the kitchen table of the wee home, and that Bible. Every time I have walked in to sit down with him, he disappears, and I'm surrounded by kids. Uh, <laughs> And, and moments later, he emerges with that Bible, sometimes with several, right, but, but that one. And we, then he says, all right, here is my question. Or, hey, I was thinking about this. Can we talk about it? Or I'm thinking about this thing, and we start having a conversation, and then he starts opening his Bible and looking for things. This is, and Rebecca was nodding a minute ago because she knows what I'm saying is accurate, right? So go, you can go sit down now. I'm done. You, I'm not going to make you stand through the whole. Should I make him stand through the whole sermon? uh let's pray for the message and then we will dive in um bow your heads please heavenly father i pray that you'd be with us today i pray for your grace for your mercy for your spirit to be on us i pray that you would fill us up with uh with your spirit that we would be overflowing with with you lord um i pray as i unpack the text today as we as we look at this particular passage and continue our journey through Daniel, that we, would, uh, that we would look to you, that we would lean on you in all of it, that we would um, just uh, speak the truth in love about uh, the love of Christ um, who died for us, who was resurrected. I pray that nothing but the gospel would come out of my mouth today and that the folks who are here would hear the word of God and it would be like the rain that fell last night. Um, soaking the ground and bringing about life turning uh turning plants that have turned a little a little tannish back to green and and bringing growth and everything else lord god i pray for your spirit to be on us and that we would know jesus more and be more like him through this time in christ's name i pray amen all right so uh a while ago uh, there was a uh, 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 hubbub in the wee home, and uh, I, I'm putting them on the spot. I got permission to share this, so I'm not just doing this, but uh, Daniel, like Daniel and I, for several years, he'll say, Eric, he would call me out of the blue and be like, hey, Eric, I heard a thing in my audio Bible on the way to work yesterday, and I don't understand it. Can we talk about it? And oh, yeah, he's like, well, but I know you're busy and I know you're this and I know you're that. And it's like, well, busy or not, like more or less 90 percent of what I'm supposed to do as a job is answer Bible questions. Right. Like this is a chunk of it. And and then that turned from like a periodic phone call to a sit down where we would sit down and for a little while. We sat down every Monday right after men's Bible study and we talked about his questions for the week and we talked about. Um, different things that were going on in his life and things like that. And this was a recurring thing. And every time he brought out the Bible, he put it in front of him, he opened it up, and we would have this discussion. Now, I am going to say this. Daniel often puts me in a spot unintentionally where I feel like I am so beneath, like, his faith and his spiritual strength that, like I'm uh, like, I'm in awe. And this is... One of those times, because Daniel's work last year had a deal where they said, look, everybody is going to get this covid shot. Now, before I talk about covid, your preconceived ideas about it'll kill you. Only idiots didn't take it. And all that other nonsense. Put it away. This is not a sermon about that. Got it. His job, they said, everybody who does not get this shot by this date will be fired. Period. And he and I sat down and he discussed with me his reasoning. And I'm going to tell you, his reasoning was not political at all. He never talked about what was in it or anything else. He had his reasons and they were reasons that he held very, very dearly. And he was dug in on this topic, right? Like this is something that was near and dear to his heart and we discussed it several times. I will confess, and I told him this, I didn't 100% agree with this theology, but he said, this is what God has put on my heart, and this is where I'm at, and this is what I'm going to do, and so we would sit down and discuss the cliff that was coming up in his life, because no job means no money, means what happens to life in Big Sandy, where do we go, what do we do, it means upsetting the apple cart of everything over a conviction that he felt God did not want him to do this thing. And he was, he was set. And I'm going to tell you what was really powerful about this is. That as we sat at his dining room table. The lovely children who were just escorted out of the room. Sat on either side of him and ate breakfast. Or lunch. Or snacks. Or whatever. And he's talking about this is what God wants me to do. I guess I'll lose my job. And he prayed about it, and he agonized over it, and he stayed up nights, and he prayed about it some more, and he searched the scriptures, and he, I mean, just over and over again, like what I saw Daniel doing was going back to the word of God, going back to prayer, going back to scripture, going back, 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 and like putting all of the weight of it there. Um, I did not see him ever say, it's no big deal. And then he got a religious exemption letter that he could do. Like, fill out this form and you might get a religious exemption. And for whatever reason, it seemed like they were going to maybe deny most of those. Not getting into it. That is not my job. I'm not quoting him. If you're watching online looking for a reason to fire him, this is Eric's words, not him. And I watched Daniel spend weeks agonizing over every word. And coming back to me with things he had read about the law. I'm not even a lawyer. I don't know why he talked to me. (laughs) But over and over again, agonizing over this, saying, I will obey God no matter what. Um, In the end, I don't even think it mattered. They, like, it went away, which is crazy. But that's a whole other conversation. I'm telling you this story, first off, because I think... I think I want to make it clear that there are a lot of folks around us in this body who have profound faith, who have a great deal of inner strength, who have a great deal of I'm going to lean on Christ and do his thing no matter what. And you don't always see that until you sit down at their dining room table and have a conversation with them. That is what church is ultimately about. First off, it's about Christ and about us worshiping Christ and being together in Christ. But part of being together in Christ is sitting at each other's dining room tables and praying together and loving each other and being the body of Christ, supporting each other and growing as a body. And it is a powerful, amazing thing. So um, we live in a world right now, though, like that is shifting in a direction of sort of post-Christianity. This is not me scaring you. Do not hear me doing that. I do not want to do that. I hate sermons like that. It makes me crazy. You know, oh, they're all going to get us. Oh, no, it's the end of that. None of that nonsense, okay? Like, the truth is that for the most part, a lot of people just don't care. Got it? They just don't care. And where we stick out, they'll look at us like we're weird and step around us. And where we're a problem, like, there'll be problems. This is an example of that. They're not going to cart you off to prison next week. I'm not doing that sermon. Got it? So we're going to dive into Daniel. Not that Daniel. Bible Daniel. Um, Oh, I didn't even have my... And what we're going to be talking about today, the big idea here is, how do you be a light for Jesus in a world that is getting darker, right? In a world where division is worse. In a world where churches are in decline. In a world where people shoot each other for no reason. Or shoot children for no reason. I mean, like, how do we be Jesus in a world where nobody cares if you're Jesus or not? My friend Barney would oftentimes quote, I believe it was George Carlin. My memory may not be that great. um, (laughs) This joke about a man who held himself hostage and nobody cared and nobody showed up. What does it matter if he did or didn't hold himself hostage if nobody cared and nobody showed up? And sometimes the church is like that. And that's more and more where we're going. Folks, just aren't interested. Y'all with me? So diving into Daniel, um, where we're picking up the Medo Persian Empire, right? Like we ended last week, chapter five, where uh, the the king of Babylon uh, screws up, and he calls David in, and David announces, like, "Hey, you screwed up, and God, you done messed up." Hey, I mean, uh, whatever his name is, and. And God is going to squish you. It is time. And later that night, he's assassinated. And the Medo-Persian army sacks Babylon, the unconquerable city. And the Medo-Persian empire, having conquered most of the, the nation already, they conquer the capital. And then they start setting up their own government because that's sort of what you do when you want to control territory. Everybody with me? And they had these guys called satraps. The word means defender of the kingdom. Got it. Um, And like Daniel ends up one of these satraps because I'm going to give you a couple of reasons here. Right. First off, he served under Nebuchadnezzar, like the greatest emperor up until that time. He was the man. And because Nebuchadnezzar had held David in high esteem and elevated him in the government, when they backed up and they said, well, who knows this place? Let's have that Daniel guy be one of the top guys because he's clearly doing well. Plus, he got knocked up to the number three spot in the kingdom in the previous chapter. Like, everybody knows him, and he's awesome. Let's make him part of the in-charge group. So he ends up one of the satraps because of Nebuchadnezzar. I think he had an amazing reputation, right? And some of y'all may know people like this. If they tell you they're going to do something, they do it, right? If they uh, commit in a direction, you will crush them before you will get them to change their mind. Um, Daniel... Daniel was willing to be killed rather than eat the king's food. Daniel was willing to you know, do all sorts of things, to be crushed in various ways, to be, to be persecuted. He spoke out openly like Daniel had a reputation for being a straight shooter who told the truth. He was probably the kind of guy who, if they told him to violate his religious comp, con, con well, no, we know that he is the kind of man that if, if he was told to violate what he believed God wanted him to do, He would have said, fire me, send me to jail, do whatever you want. I will starve before I will do something against God. And finally, like the writing on the wall story probably is fresh in their minds. Everybody's telling the king this, and like that probably didn't hurt. Everybody with me? Okay, so Daniel, uh, chapter 6, 1 and 2, it pleased Darius. Darius is the king of the Medes. The king of the Persians is Cyrus. There's the potential that they're the same person. We're not going to talk about that today. It is way too much stuff to get into. But Darius, who's the king of the Medes, um, he appoints 120 satraps, defenders of the kingdom, to rule throughout the kingdom. There's a little bit of, like, screwiness with that number. And archaeology, it's probably the case that it just references everybody who's involved in management, right? Not going to talk about it today. Uh, ideally, I would do a later deep dive about it. If you want to hear about it, ask me. It's kind of interesting. But 120 satraps, so he's got 120 guys um, with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, there's an important line there. Might not suffer loss. Um, this is all about taxes. Got it? Like... The satraps are collecting taxes, and Daniel and two other guys, their job is to make sure the taxes get collected properly, right? That's it. And so they hire guys at the top, and, like, um, as we've seen throughout the book and up until this point, like, Daniel is this person of exceptional qualities. He's, like, a hard worker. Right? He projects excellence. He brings his best to the table. By the way, as a believer, part of what Paul calls us to do is to bring our best every day. Because when you go to work, you represent Jesus. I worked with a guy on a line uh, making concrete tiles. It was absolutely horrible. California, hot. I was one of two guys that spoke English. I kid you not, like we were me and the other temp. And the other temp was hyper Jesus guy. And he talked about Jesus the whole time and sang hymns and everything else, and he trash-talked every other guy that worked there, assuming they couldn't understand him, I guess, I don't know. But he was also exceptionally lazy, like uncomfortably lazy, and everybody despised him, just hated him. They hated having to work with him, everything else, because they could not get him to do the hard work. And it always frustrated me because I would look at the guy and I would say, you're talking about Jesus everywhere. That's like cutting a guy off with a Jesus bumper sticker, man. Like you're making us look bad. You're making him look bad. And so, like, hard work. He was this hard worker. He was honest. He had a great deal of integrity. And he was this wise man. Like, and we see all of this stuff in play. And almost certainly that's what kind of came about as a central problem for him as the text goes forward. So, now Daniel so distinguished himself... Among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He rose up because he was who he was. He worked hard. He was honest. Like, and if you have a lead tax collector, you want the most honest man in the room, right? There's a reason I don't give my kids my wallet to hold on to. You know what it is? (laughs) Things will disappear. I remember to this day I went to a bookstore with Abby. She was like this tall. And she went to pay for her book, and she had $5, and it was $4.25, and she stuck that $0.75 in her pocket. And I said, Abby, give me my change. And she said, no. And I said, no, Abby, give me my change. And she said, you gave me the money. They gave me the change. It is mine. Guess why Abby doesn't get money from me to pay for stuff? Because I can't trust her. I love her. I'm sorry. That was a long time ago. It was just a funny story. Uh, but like at the end of the day, because he was a person of integrity, he didn't look at this money and say, "Oh wow, this is an opportunity." He didn't line his pockets. he didn't say, "Oh, this is my money." Uh, before he handed it on or refused to hand it on, he moved up the ladder, and he was about to be made number one in the kingdom, um, which is a recurring thing for him. So what is about to happen, though, is there are dishonest officials who are going to object to a man of integrity being over them. Uh, they, they can't find dirt on him, Right? They can't find anything that he has done wrong, so they decide to attack his faith. Daniel read it. I don't have a slide for it, okay, um, which is why Daniel read it because I'm going to explain here. These guys are like, well, this is a problem. We can't have Daniel over us. Well, why? VeggieTales only told me, oh, no, what are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. The problem there is we're making money, and if Daniel's in charge, that's going to stop or he's going to catch us, right? This is a problem. Nobody wants an honest man in charge if you're stealing. And so they begin discussing it. What are we going to do? And they start looking for reasons to undercut him. And they can't find any. And so they say, we'll have to attack his faith. And that's what they did. And what's amazing... What's amazing is Daniel's response. And we're going to get to that during our application portion. Um, but the story in essence is Daniel is a person of integrity. Daniel is promoted and elevated because he works hard, because he tells the truth, doesn't steal, and because he's wise. And these are all qualities that have come about throughout the rest of the book. Like if you go through, everything along the way teaches Daniel to be a person who relies on God, who prays first and asks questions later. Right. Who tells the truth, even if it means he's going to die and it works out amazing for him. That is not a promise forever, because sometimes it works out badly. Right. Ten, eleven of the disciples did not die of natural causes, uh, except, you know, John, John, the beloved died old. But everybody else died swearing that Christ was risen from the dead and they killed him. They killed them for it. Like, oh, take it back, or we'll kill you. Oh, we'll just kill you then. Um, and so understand. Like, and I'm I'm pushing this point hard. I'm hitting this point hard because I do not want you to think I am preaching a health and wealth sermon. This is not tell the truth and it'll always work out. Got it? The truth is, sometimes if you tell the truth, you're going to get stepped on. But the truth is, tell the truth. Be a person of integrity. And God will hold you in high esteem. You will draw closer to Christ. You will be a person who experiences sometimes difficulty in the name of Christ. I'm not saying be a jerk. Right? Because there are people who are like, I'll tell the truth all the time because Jesus wants me to. And they tell the truth in a really hateful way. Don't do that. Speak the truth in love. Be like Christ. So. A little bit of a different path. We're going to dive directly into application. And before we do that, I want to make a point. Like, I am talking about Daniel not because Daniel is holy and awesome, right? This Daniel. i about the Daniel in uh, the – I did not think this through. Uh, <laughs> the Daniel in the scriptures, we're talking about him because he's a man who God chose to be his representative. This Daniel is often in that place, right? Um, but Daniel's experience is maybe a little more close to ours. Most of us are not going to go to the family farm and get the threat of firing if you don't get the inoculation, right? Um, but Daniel faced something and said, I, you know, I can only do what God calls me to do. I can only obey. And in that like we see a modern example of this. Um, they weren't going to feed him the lions. But I'll tell you, creditors. Ooh. And so for being different, for being honest, for being a man of God, Daniel is attacked. And eventually they had to attack his faith because there was nothing else to, to attack. So what do we do with this? I'm going to tell you first and foremost, wake up. It is warm in here. Amen. It is. It is warmer up here because of all the hot air that's spewing. Also because Eric forgot to come out here last night and turn the air conditioner on. And so it is kind of warm, and it's my fault. How many of y'all have listened to me drone on and begun to doze? Where's Jim? In the nursery, right? I. uh We live in a world where it is easy to fall asleep. Where everything in the world around us is lulling us to sleep. Thea is yawning right now. Um, But we need to stay awake. Right? Sometimes we need to drink strong coffee. Spiritually. Sometimes we need to keep ourselves, like, focused. Sometimes we need to surround ourselves with other believers who are active in their faith, who talk about Jesus, who sit at the kitchen table with us with their Bible open and everything else, and we have these hard conversations so that we have intimate closeness with other believers that wakes up that part of us, right? There's a funny, weird statistic. If you associate with people who are overweight... You are statistically more likely to be overweight. If you associate the people you are closest with with people who read books and don't watch television, you are more likely to read books and not watch television because we slowly turn into the people we surround ourselves with. That's hard. That is what part of what the church is for. But we need to wake up, and we need to remain awake. I have a great quote. This is from the Screwtape Letters. Have you all read this? Anybody read this book? Read it. It is one of the most amazing books. It is by C.S. Lewis. It is Uncle Screwtape is Satan, basically, or a, a lead demon, and he is writing letters. There's a stage play, by the way. That's the only reason I use that picture. There is a stage play, like you can go see. Not here, but somewhere. Um, but he is... A lead demon writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, about tempting a man and drawing him into hell, right? And the man becomes a believer and then World War II starts and they have all this discussion about how to confuse and distract and like destroy him spiritually or water down his faith or what have you. And there is this amazing spot where he's talking about sending him off to the war um, and he says, but if Only he can be kept alive. You have time itself for your ally. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather. You see, it is so hard for those creatures, meaning humans, to persevere. The The routine of adversity, the gradual decay of youthful loves and youthful hopes, the quiet despair hardly felt as pain, of ever ever overcoming the chronic temptations with which we have again and again defeated them, the drabness which we create in their lives, and the inarticulate resentment with which we teach them to respond to it. All of this provides admirable opportunities of wearing out a soul by attrition. Now, what he's saying there, real quick, Like, and obviously this is fiction, but C.S. Lewis is really good at catching who people are and writing them down. He's saying to his nephew, as you destroy this man's soul, throw hardship at him over and over again, and he will get tired. Take the joy out of it. Turn it into drudgery. Make the world gray around him so he gets depressed. Make him bitter. And you all know somebody who was like like powerful in their faith when they're young and then they get older and older and older and they slowly become bitter and angry and resentful and they have nothing nice to say about like anything or they gripe and are nasty to some of the people around them or whatever like all of that bitterness builds up and it crushes their spiritual fervor and they become something broken. On the other hand, if on the other hand, The middle years prove prosperous. Our position is even stronger, meaning if you are comfortable, it's even better. Prosperity knits a man into the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his senses of importance, and the growing pressure to absorb or of absorbing and agreeable work build up. In him, a sense of really being at home in earth, which is just what we want. We will notice that the young are generally less unwilling to die than the middle aged and the old. What Uncle Screwtape is saying is the closer or the older and older you get, the more and more the heat around you settles in, and you slowly become comfortable in your spot. And Eric drones on, but man, this seat is comfortable, and man, a nap feels good. And we slowly become part of the furniture. We slowly become accustomed to this world, and things give. One of the things that I find amazing about the story of Daniel in the Bible and my Daniel, or Rebecca's Daniel. (laughs) Sorry, that was also weird. I didn't mean to. (laughs) Here is that. The habits that they engaged in are the things that kept them awake. Daniel prayed three times a day, right? He did it every day. That's what the text said. He, he went home, didn't do anything different, didn't gripe, didn't get a sign and campaign, didn't try to change the law. He went home and he prayed three times a day like he always did. He did it private. He did it at home just like he always did. And that was his response. Daniel would sit down with me with his Bible Every every time we sat down, every time, because he was going back to it over and over again, because Daniel is not becoming accustomed in the world. He's not looking at it and saying, I will disobey God in this one thing. It'll be OK. Because otherwise I lose my position and my kids and my this and my house and Big Sandy and everything else. But he's able to do this, follow his conviction because he's awake Because over and over again, he sits down and wakes himself up, again, with some good, strong, black espresso with a little bit of lemon mixed in. Um, I highly recommend it. They're going to name it after me, I'm sure. Um, In an old Southern Baptist church, on a day like this, we would all have those fans. You've seen them on TV, right? And you would sit there and you'd wave it at you. And there was a two-fold thing there. It made you more comfortable. But sitting and doing this, really hard to sleep when you're fanning yourself. Ideally, my kids would be up here fanning me. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my wife. Uh, the fans in this life that bring us comfort in the heat of the world, in the temptation to fall asleep, that keep us active to keep ourselves awake, First off, it's the scriptures. It's prayer. It's sitting down at the dining room table with other people and having real conversations about who I am in Christ, about those things. It is walking in the morning and being silent before the Lord. It is serving by delivering meals. Oh, my gosh. It is... All of these things that we do, they keep us awake and alive spiritually. When we abandon those things in favor of sleeping in, in favor of watching TV or or scrolling rather than scripture, right? Um, It just gets easy to fall asleep. And slowly these things drift away. And if you ever get an opportunity to break the habit, like a big long break from attending church, then you disappear forever. Um the next thing honestly is we have to stand out in the crowd and this is not a thing that we do by yelling all right is everybody with me <laughs> sorry uh not sorry do everything this is Paul without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast, about, boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What's going on there? He's saying, listen, when you stand in the world around you, don't grumble and don't complain. And be perfect, be pure, be Christ-like, and in doing so, you'll stand out. It's not carry a sign. It's not tell your neighbor he's going to hell. It's not, you know, running a – did this town ever do that where you would run like a like a, a paver or a bulldozer? It's not a bulldozer. What would it be? Like one of those giant pieces of equipment over records. They did that in the 50s a lot. You know, or like, oh, we're going to go pick at this movie. Or, oh, we're going to go yell about this book. It's not any of that stuff. It's being Jesus. That's how you stand out because everybody's complaining, everybody's protesting, everybody's setting, you know, records on fire because they're offended by it. Everybody is doing all of that. You stand out by being like Christ. I came across and I really did went back and forth about using this, but I just think it's awesome. Uh from this is in the New York Times. And uh the, the New York Times is this morning they ran an article about a church. Uh, Apologia Church, they got a podcast and stuff like that. And I'm friends with some people who attend this church, and they they thought it was very funny and they were flattered by it. But it's an article about abortion rights. And, uh, like, if you read the article, the author is really trying to make everybody at Apologia Church look insane and evil. Right? And, like, it's supposed to come across as super insidious. And my friend quoted this section and said, it's amazing. They're, like, they're saying this is a horrible thing, but it's the most complimentary thing I've read about my church in ages. Like, it's awesome. Check this out. At a time when church attendance is often shrinking, Apologia has so had so many families on a recent Sunday about a month ago. Uh, a month before the Supreme Court decision, that it ran out of bulletins. Fathers wheeled in children in wagons, and mothers held babies while leading other small children by the hand. A man at the door greeted them in a black shirt that read, Jesus is Lord, pass the ammunition. Mr. Durbin, who's the pastor, preached from the book. By the way, over and over again, Mr. Durbin is presented as like this cult leader and evil. He's not, he's just a pastor, Right. Like, he is just a guy. He's not nuts. Like, he's pretty normal. Jeremy listens to his podcast. I'm old. I don't even know what podcasts are. Um, Mr. Durbin preached from the book of Proverbs, which he said offered wisdom on every part of life, including about nations rejecting God's wisdom and then being destroyed. And how Christian mother, a Christian mother looks when she builds a home uh, over and against the average unbelieving mother. A woman's role is in the home. She raises up little heroes and little image bearers of God, he said. And I don't think, you know, women are exclusively, you've got to stay home no matter what. My wife has a job. If she didn't have a job, we wouldn't be here because, like, we can't afford it, right? But, like, the idea that mom would be attached to her kids, like, like, it's presented as an offensive thing. The idea that nations rejecting God do so at their peril, that's terrifying. But that stuff, it really wasn't that scary, right? And actually, like, if I saw people walking in with wagons full of kids and carrying their babies, and right, that would be kind of awesome. By the way, Cassie's pregnant. Did you guys know that? Congratulations. Um, in everything, we're to stand out. And sometimes standing out, or most of what standing out is supposed to be, is just being Christ-like. I, I'm aware. I'm going to pick on Daniel again. One of the weird things about Daniel's work is they're not, they're not supposed to talk about faith. Right, Like you're not supposed to talk about your religion. But people come to Daniel and they ask him questions. And so he talks about Jesus a lot because people come to him and they say, well, wait a minute, can you help me understand this? Because everybody looks at Daniel and they just know who he is. He stands out because he's like Jesus. He's not carrying a sign. He's not preaching. He's not hitting people with the Bible. None of that stuff. But people come to him and say, can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you walk through this thing with me? Because being like Christ will draw people to you. And you you can't help but stand out. Especially in the crazy world we live in. Right? Man, I am really sweating now. Uh, we're going to skip out. Oh, All right. First Peter. <laughs> but do this with gentleness and respect. Mind you, he is not saying, screaming and hollering and yelling and insulting. Arguing on Facebook. He's not mentioning it. It was the early days, so it was MySpace. Um, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. (laughs) For Christ also suffered once for sins. I wish I had a neck thing that would air condition me. The righteous for the unrighteous (laughs) to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, be gentle, be patient, be loving, be blameless. And that way, if folks persecute you, they're persecuting you for being like Jesus. And if that happens, it's God's will that it happens. And just be all right with it. Like understand Christ better through your suffering. So first off, uh, golly, I got to kind of crank down here. Um, Next application here, make your identity in Christ your identity. When we separate those things, we encounter problems. Does anybody know who Eric Liddell is? Oh, I got one. Let's see if I show a picture of someone who isn't him. Does anybody know who Eric Liddell is? Chariots of Fire, right? Anybody know anything about Chariots of Fire except for the song? Eric Liddell was a seminary student, a Scottish seminary student, who was prepped to win a gold medal at the Olympics. He was a sprinter, and his preferred race was the 100-yard dash. But the 100-yard dash was going to be held on Sunday. And I am not telling you don't run on Sunday, okay? I don't agree with Eric on this. Uh, yeah, (laughs) but if it is in you that you are convicted to obey in this way to not do so is a sin, Paul says that actually. And so he says, I cannot run this race. And when he realized it was going to happen every day after dinner, he would get together with his friends and they would talk for hours and he stopped doing that when he found out for like several months preceding the Olympics, he would finish dinner. He would disappear for hours. And after weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, like these several months, finally they found out that what he was doing was he was going to his room and praying to God about what he, was, what he should do. Like he had the opportunity to win an Olympic gold medal. And in the end, he did not race on Sunday. He raced a race that he did not think he could win, that nobody thought he could win. And then he won a gold medal. Because his conviction, it would be a story you wouldn't even remember Right? Except they made a movie with that song. But also, his identity in Christ is who he was. When Daniel was put in a spot where he was like, oh, well, eat from the king's table. Right? What did he say? He said, nope, not going to eat the king's food. Because God commands me not to. Why did God command the people not to eat the, the unkosher food? Well, it was a way of reminding them, you're not a part of the world. You are a separate people. Do these things to remind yourself, you are not Of This world your home is somewhere else. You belong to God. You are God's people and he obeyed that and in obeying that Like God used him And he learned we need to follow this we need to make that identity in Christ and we don't have a lot of those things Like we have Christian t-shirts that are cheesy and that's an awful way to remind ourselves, right? We have our body of Christ here. We have our Bible studies. We have these things. But we have to come to these things that remind us, I am not Eric, the runner, or Eric, the pastor. I am Christ's representative. I am a new man, made new. Like Peter, I suspect, would say, I am no longer Simon. I am Peter. I am a new man. Our identity in Christ starts between us and God. And I'm not going to read it again. I'm going to just touch on it real quick. Daniel, what did Daniel do? Identity in Christ starts between him and, you know, him and God starts between him and Christ. How did it act out? Well, when the time came for him to, you know, to make a decision, he didn't announce, I am offended. I know. He didn't didn't do any of that nonsense. He went back and he said, God, I'm going to talk to you about this. Over and over again, God rescue me, God continue this. And in doing so, he broke the law. He didn't announce it publicly, he didn't protest, he didn't march, he didn't go on Facebook, he didn't complain about the vast conspiracy against him. Here, I'll just share the password with you there, Nathan. Sorry. Uh, it's just asked. <laughs> He's not even in here, is he? Uh, <laughs> And so Daniel, like, his first go-to was, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Or probably, Father, what do you want me to do? For us, it is, Christ, what do you want me to do? Oh, this person offended me. What do I do? Well, I need to pray for him. I need to turn the other cheek. I need to be Jesus to him. I need to make peace. I need to create heaven here. And finally, we need to be real about who we are. Like, and if we are real about who we are in Christ, they will see Jesus instead of us. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to mess it up every time. If I am real about my identity, if when I am at home alone, I look like Jesus at the same time as I look like Jesus everywhere, right? I'm being real. I am authentic. And people will see that. And they will know if I am a hypocrite. The world is watching us for that. Uh, I'm going to have to skip that slide. Um, Really... Peter is a great book. Read it when you get home. Um, And finally, we need to train ourselves in our relationship with Jesus, right? Like this is no small thing. While I was on vacation, I picked up a book, right? I know I bought like 100 books. One that I bought in particular is How to Shoot Like a Navy Seal. That's a great title, isn't it? And I was like, man, I'm going to read that. And if I went home and every day I sat down and read it, I would suddenly become an expert marksman. No. Guess what the trick is? Hours and hours of practice. I read this first chapter and I realized well, Jiminy Cricket, I can't just read the book? I gotta practice? There's a great line in uh, Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace where um, Pierre, the main character, is realizing that he learned a great deal. In his life, he understood more as a man as a result of going through hardship because he didn't just learn it with his head, he learned it with his whole life, right? To follow Christ, to become like Christ, to train in godliness is to live a godly life. It's to carry your Bible and sit down with your kids and say, let's read together. And then the day when you sit down with Pastor Eric and you say, what am I going to do? Am I going to obey God and lose my job or am I going to give in and compromise? On that day, you have strength. It's a product of every day, every day. Um, William James, the psychiatrist, uh, the father of American psychiatry, said that one of the best things we can do for ourselves to keep our strengths from evaporating, to keep the best parts of ourselves from disappearing. Like if you leave a cup out here in Montana, what happens after five minutes? It's about half empty because the air's so dry; it just right, like the steam sets up. Um, in order to keep your your steadfastness and your ability to focus and work and everything else. In order to keep it together, you have to train. You have to, every day, do little things in a heroic way. Every day, do little things in a heroic way. And in doing so, it's a little like paying fire insurance, right? Most of y'all farmers have fire insurance? Really? Not for your equipment? (laughs) I mean, like... You get crop insurance and you got, you know, like you pay your insurance. You pay it and you pay it and you pay it and you pay it. And there are days you look at that and you say, oh, my Lord, I do not need fire insurance. I need money. And you may never need your fire insurance. You may never need to say, I'll obey God rather than men. You may not ever need to say, I will be faithful in this moment of temptation when my whole life is on the line. But having paid that insurance over and over and over again, when you face it, you'll discover you have strength and not your strength, the strength of Jesus in you. When your house burns down and you discover, oh, goodness, I had insurance. When you face temptation and you realize I had integrity when I was home alone searching the Internet and my wife couldn't see what I was doing. I had integrity when I prayed every day. I had integrity when I handled my finances. I had integrity in everything I did, and now it pays off because it's a strength we build. We're doing communion this morning. Oh, my goodness. I thought I would go short today. I was lying to myself. Um, I'm going to have my guys bring forward the plates. Josh, go help.